Hello, I'm Tracy Carlton Ward and this is Sweat, Grit and Hustle. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, I hope you've had a fab day. In this week's episode, I'm with a phenomenal gentleman, the wonderful Robbie Swale. He's leadership coach and author of the 12-minute method series, and I know today you're going to get loads and loads of wonderful golden nuggets from him. Robbie, welcome. Thanks, Tracy. I just got this sense of, and I have listened to some episodes of the show, but I got this sense then when you were saying, what a lovely thing it is to be welcomed, for me, to be welcomed into a show in the way that you've just done with the energy that you have, but also for listeners. Like, it's so nice to be welcomed into the conversation in that way. So thanks on behalf of everyone for doing that. You're welcome. And I know when we get later on, I am going to be getting Robbie to go a little bit deeper into a couple of the topics of his book. So if you're not driving, I'd recommend you um, pause go grab a pen and something to write on because I know there's going to be some wonderful bits for you to take take away from the show, so to speak. So Robbie, as we always do uh, when I'm doing my guest conversations, I don't like to call them interviews. Um, and I, I'm going to take this opportunity to let guests know why I don't call them interviews. I think when you've got a series of fixed questions on a show, you could get a guest answering something that's really brilliant and you're listening and you want I want to listen I want to hear more about that but because the interviewer has got a set of questions they bypass that so this is definitely a conversation but we do have a little bit of a structure to it so I'd like to start with learning more about you sort of you know do what we all do go to school finish your education um, grow up, get on with life, and then you're at your current business. I want to know about what life was like for you and what your journey was about from finishing that education to starting your current business. Yeah, well, hmm. <laughs> I mean, interesting. I, it, it, <laughs> I haven't even said anything yet, but yeah, I mean, the, one of the things that comes up, Tracy, is like I had a slightly unusual education, or quite very unusual, really, in that I didn't go to school until I was nine. So I was home educated until I was nine, I think, or maybe maybe just about to be nine. And that is definitely a part of my story, I think. So that was just what came up because, you you know, almost everyone, you could do what you did with, which is say, we kind of know that you did some education and then you finished it, what happened next? But there's a little bit of different difference in mine. And, and then the reason that that, you know, one of the reasons that's important is that it was quite, it was a very formative and quite difficult experience to then go into formal education. Um, and took me quite a long, lot, lot of years to kind of not feel like an outsider in that, to kind of work out how it worked. And um, and that, I think, is, you know, maybe that'll come back up in the in the journey later on. And then I did go to school. I went to university um, for some reason that I, you know, I probably would change if I could go back. I studied maths, um, <laughs> which was which was not that fun at university. It was very, very hard, even for somebody who was good at maths at school. I probably should have been doing something to do with people, I later realized, because that's that's where I've ended up. And then in the in the kind of decade, first decade of my career after that, I've got to say it was quite stressful because I tried a few things, none of all of which then changed, all of which I got to a conclusion in the end with of which this is not the right thing for me to be doing for all kinds of reasons. So I had a I'd love being in plays at school. It's kind of where I made my friends, how I, it was really how I settled into school in the end as I found a thing that I really loved doing accidentally almost, and then did it and made lots of friends through it. And I, at first I thought I might want to be an actor. So I tried that and I applied for drama schools and I got into some 
and I nearly got into all the ones I really wanted to go to, like all the most prestigious ones, apart from one in the UK. I got onto their like shortlists and reserve lists one year and then didn't get a place. And then the next year I didn't get through a single audition. This is like the end of that road because it's like, well, this, how fickle is this? Can I really live a life where I do essentially the same thing two years and in one year I get through everything almost and the other year, year I get through nothing. So I had that and that was a bit, that required some kind of grieving to let go of that, that dream. And then at the same time, I'd been working in finance departments. So I kind of had a sense that I could have carried on in that um, thing as well. That was using the maths degree to kind of crowbar my way in through the door. Um, And I knew that that wasn't for me, really, by that point. I knew that the finance department wasn't for me. But I also had this sense there was something interesting about me that I had the people thing and the maths thing. So I wondered if I would be a, a leader in the arts, that was a thing that I thought. So I love this. I love the arts. I love creativity. I love what it gives people when they do it, when they watch it. Maybe I can use all these things that I can do and do that. And that was the kind of what we say. That's the kind of third maybe career that I tried. And that went better than the others. Like I definitely could do it well. Um, it wasn't as fickle as acting. I was more in control of it. But in the end, I realized that I, um, I was quite drained by it still. So it's like I was proud of the things that we were making happen. I didn't actually like the work I was doing that much. Like I didn't like, I was just, you know, I was doing what everyone does in, in, mo- in most jobs. I was sending a lot of emails, filling in spreadsheets, herding cats of different kinds into uh, to try and get events on and things like that. And I found it quite, I found it wore me out a lot. Yeah, I did um, about 25 years of herding those cats in corporate yeah. life. It is draining. It absolutely is. Um and, and, but but I also at that point kind of had, had an insight, which was that my friend Anna really loved herding the cats. She loved the buzz at the last minute with these events of will the cats get in the right places and do the thing, whatever, whether it was a band or a stand-up comic or a play or whatever it was that was being put on in, the, in an arts venue. And I didn't. And it was a great moment of empathy, right? Because not everyone thinks how I think. And that's no matter how much I know that's true, it's really hard to remember that some people love the things that I hate doing. And some people hate doing the things that I love doing. And that's yeah. true. If you, if, you, if you look for the evidence, you will find it in the end, hard as it is for me to understand. And essentially at that point, though, as I was realizing that, so I'd, I'd thought at one point that I would, that down the road, it would be great to be running Sheffield Theatres or the South Bank Centre or one of these big venues. And, uh, you know, I don't know where it would be, like Bridgewater Hall in Manchester, any of these venues that I really like the look of or have been to and loved. And, and then at some point I realized, oh, that would be a nightmare. I really don't want to have this, but with the added responsibility and added pressure and someone else could do it better than me. So what am I going to do? And that then, that process that happened after that was how I ended up where I am now. Brilliant. And I know it's quite funny. Sometimes it's quite eye-opening when you realize something you hate, somebody else actually really loves. And that is, that's the formula for building teams. It absolutely is. You want- so Anna, Anna and I were a great partnership, right? Yeah. When we were, we did some volunteering, voluntary work together on a charity and we were a great partnership for that because, you know, we could both do pretty much everything, but she loved some things that I didn't like and then she could do that. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It's exactly the formula for building teams. You know, we, we want complementary strengths. Yeah, we want people to be doing things they love doing. And it, whether that's you love doing something in a corporate role or there's something you love in a in your own business, that's fine. You know, this isn't about you. Everybody must go and set up a business. But it's quite interesting. I was chatting to one of my business contacts this morning at our meeting and he wandered over to me and he said, Tracy, can I have a quick chat? I went, yeah, of course you can. 
And I could tell he was, he was quite down. And one of the things just, you know, we haven't finished having the conversation, but one thing that did come out of it, he's not enjoying what he's currently doing. And that fed into his entire demeanor, his body language, his state of mind. That one little seed of I don't really enjoy what I'm doing anymore literally has rippled through his entire body, his entire being. And that is coming across for his business because a few people noticed in the meeting he was slightly down. So I think it is important that you let go of doing shit you don't like. It absolutely is. It's like sometimes when I'm working with clients, it's like it's like the absolutely key insight is is around this exact thing that we're talking about. And it's either, oh, you know, it's either the thing we've already talked about. It's like, oh, wait, you mean there would be other people who would love doing this thing that I don't like doing in my business or my work? <laughs> yeah. Like what? It's like, oh, well, amazing. And what if I, if I, you mean, if I give this, if I delegate this thing to that person, they might love doing it, even though I hate it. So instead of feeling like you're imposing something on someone else, maybe you're giving them a gift. Like that's one part of it. Um, but it, you know, it's also a kind of broader strengths-based point, I guess, is in there possibly, um, which might be sometimes we think that we have to do things in the way that we see other people do them. So one of the things I'm not, I don't know if this will be true for your contact, but I've had uh, clients where, I mean, sometimes how we relate to others is, is how we manage others is, is like a, a good, an obvious one here. Like we see the kind of traditional way of managing whatever that is for us. And it's different people. Like in the arts, it's really different to yeah. if I was in a big, you know, um, big corporate business, the traditional way of managing people is different in those two places. So there's not the one traditional way of managing particularly, but we th- whatever the tradition is, we think we have to do it that way. And a really important insight is, well, what if you used your strengths, whatever they are, you specifically, you or your, your contact specifically him, to manage people, to get yeah. them to do the thing. And you don't, you know, but clients where they, oh, you mean I, c- I can actually just be direct, even though everyone else like skips around the issues. Or the other one obviously is, oh, you mean I could just, I don't have to just dictate exactly what everybody does. I could use my ability to bring people together and do creative planning to work out and delegate things. Like, oh, what a relief. I can just do it my way. Yeah, it's one of the, I mean... <laughs> I was uh, I used to get into a bit of trouble in my corporate career every so often. It's probably why I moved around a fair bit. But I I would always ask, why are we doing it this way? Why are we doing it? I nearly got fired from my first ever job for saying, why are we doing it this way? Some guy had given us this task. You know, I was about 18 at the time. And this guy had given a bunch of attempts a task to take a, a list of data, basically debts owed by people to a furniture company. And... <laughs> He literally went, you got to, can't remember the exact, but it was like double it and then and then divide it by four. And I'm like, well, why don't we just half the number? He nearly fired me. He literally nearly fired me. I did go on to do a maths and technology degree. No shit, Sherlock. Um, but what was so funny is I turned around and said, well, why do we do it that way? Can you help me understand why you need it done that way? And he sort of said, well, because we need to know what the minimum amount of debt is effectively that we're going to be taking over. And I said, why don't we just half the number? He made me sit there and go through 20 examples of why that was the same as what he was doing. And that's what often people don't do. They they also don't do it if they've been running a business for a while on their own and they've set their procedures up. New people will come in, guys, and they'll have new ideas. Listen to them. They might have better processes than you have. 
But yeah, when it comes to managing, I always believed in the passion first, the people will follow, then you can tell them how they've got to do it. Yeah, love it. Love it. And but it's also that that ability to to see a problem, like the create the, what do you call it, the mental agility to look at what you were doing and go, hang on a sec, you know, there's a simple maths way of making this a whole lot easier. Why don't we just do that? Like, not everyone has that strength. No, and and the, I, the truth is, like, like you say, like I I've been in jobs where I've I have a bit of that too. I've been in jobs where I either it's been a bit of a problem or I've just had to crush it and get on with the job yeah. for whatever reason. Neither of which is that good for um me or the organization. But, but you want to put people where their strengths are really useful. So you want to put 18-year-old Tracy in a place where she can look at systems and go, oh, hang on a sec, there's an improvement here, an improvement here, an improvement here. And I'm sure that's what you've done over your career when you've when you've been doing work that that has you know, both fulfilled you and been valuable yeah, for people you work I have to for. say, I did stay, I did get a permanent job. I moved down south, permanent job with the company. When the big bosses heard what I'd done, they said, oh, would you like to come and work at an office? And I ended up running their IT department, which was quite Amazing. hilarious. But the bizarre thing was, at 18 years old, I didn't know how to put it in the right way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it didn't come across... Very polite. I basically said this 21-year-old guy, three years older than me, who basically running the team, and I just went, this is effing stupid. Yeah. So there are ways to actually <laughs> do this. There's ways to yeah. delegate. There's ways to manage. But don't be scared to ask, why are we doing something? Is it just because we've done it for 50 years? Yeah, I think just there's so much in this story, Tracy. I'm really, you know, really glad you told it because, yeah, you're right there. You've pulled out one, which is um, – there's, you know, it, you can, we can all be more skillful at yeah. how we communicate. And if things aren't going well for you in your relationships at work or otherwise, it's worth thinking about how you're communicating because it's at least partly on you. It's not always, everyone's, it's very easy to blame the other person. But, you know, I love the, the self-awareness you've got to not do that, to be like, actually, you know, yeah, it was silly that he didn't justify by two, but also I probably should have said it a bit more nicely. Yeah. He might have listened a bit sooner. Um, but the other thing that's in here, I think is really important especially for young people who are either starting out in their career or, or thinking about starting a business. Sometimes we have this thing, which is like, um, who am I to do this? I'm too young. Yeah. Essentially. And I had a bit of that actually as I moved into coaching quite a bit of it. And it took quite a lot of energy to own what's great about being, doing something when you're young. And your example there is just fantastic because it's like, um, there's a book that I've never read. It's like quite an American phrasing called rookie smarts. But I know what it's about, right? It's about what it's beginner's mind, right? It's about yeah. like what happens when you put a young person in. If you've got a young person coming into your team who knows nothing about business, nothing about you, nothing about your company, asking them to look for what doesn't make sense and ask all the stupid questions would be a really good use of one of the things they can bring, which is a total beginner's mind, total rookie um, smart to it. And I just think that is like, that's the same thing we're talking about. That's like using the strengths that someone yeah, has, strengths, the strengths that, that come from got, where they yeah. are in their career, as well as, um, as well as the kind of natural talents. And I think that's the, I mean, with a lot of the ladies that I work with, because many people know I work with ladies in property, you know, some of these ladies are, you know, they're not that far off retirement. Some are actually semi-retired. And the thing I notice most, and I think I notice this more in females than males, I'm not saying the males don't have it. I think the females are willing to admit they have it more. <laughs> That's the difference. Yeah. But they will gladly admit they, you know, no matter what their age is, that rookie smart, that beginner's view, to me, it's not about age. It. I have a lot of the women that their biggest procrastinator 
and we're going to come on to procrastination a lot more when we talk about your current business, Robbie, is their belief that they're not capable or not credible. Yeah, it's insidious, isn't it? Yeah, and it's because they're beginners in an industry and anybody listening that's wanting to start a new business or has just started a new business, you may be very experienced at what you've done, but some of those mindset views are going to come through, whether you want to admit it or not, there'll be little voices going, you're not good enough for this. You're not, you're not, you're no good at marketing. What's the point of running a business? Yeah. So. Yeah. I think own, we can probably say confidently only everyone has only thoughts everyone. like that. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. And, and and I think you're right. I think there is, well, I don't know. I, I don't know the, I don't know if it's even amongst men and women, but I do know that men have it. I had a funny one recently not funny, really, a bit sad. I had this guy, I work on a leadership program for um, researchers in university. Again, who am I to run a leadership program for some of the smartest people in some of the smart, you know, um, best universities in the UK? But I ended up there and I've had to deal with my own insecurities about that. We had this speaker there and he was in some ways a kind of classic, uh, what would you say, like classic male leader, more traditional leadership, the more traditional leadership style, like a lead from the front, um, direct um, guy and got a bit of kind of pushback for being a traditional type of leader because yeah. in academia there's people are really there's a lot of passion for equality and um, and creating new ways of being that don't push certain people in certain directions and other people in others but what, what was kind of tragic about it was afterwards quietly to me he said thanks something like thanks so much for having me speak on a leadership program because you know even though I've been doing this for 35 years, I still don't feel like a leader. Yeah. You know, and if even he is saying that, we can be pretty confident it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I mean, I've, I've watched one of the TED Talks and I'm, there's probably a few on this subject and I can't remember who the speaker was, but it was all about imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I think, you know, at some point in our lives, on many different occasions, we will all, all have that imposter syndrome. You know, you become a parent for the first time. You feel like an imposter. You haven't got a clue what to do. Well, guess what? Nobody else did when they had their first child. You get married. You go into a relationship. You've not been married before. Guess what? Everybody else has been in that position. You get a new job. You get promoted. You start a new business. Everybody will have at some point in their life this feeling of, I'm an imposter. I'm a fraud. I shouldn't be here. So one thing I love that you said, Robbie, was that, who am I? I think this might be the title to this podcast, you know. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Well, 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 look, Tracy, I had this thought about imposter syndrome recently, which is exactly, basically exactly what you said, that, you know, you will feel like an imposter if you do basically anything that matters to you, because almost always the things that matter to us require us to grow in and learn and become someone new. And those ones you mentioned are fantastic examples. When we have a child, we have to become I, I've had to do it. We've got a, a 20 month old, like, uh, you know, two years ago, I didn't know what was coming 20 months ago. I suddenly had to become Robbie, the dad. Yeah. And I wasn't that. And now I am, and I'll become a different version of that as time goes on. But I was an imposter, like the imposter syndrome, the idea of it that I think that sometimes the name is a bit problematic because it, it gives the impression, I don't know what syndromes are really, but the impression it can be cured or that not everyone has it. But the truth is I was an imposter. And every time I do something, when I first started writing, when I first started coaching, when I first started acting as an 11 year old, you know, when I started my business, when I became a manager of an art center for the first time, it's like, I was an imposter. So like, don't pretend you won't have that. Just accept that that's part of 
doing something courageous and exciting. It's part and of then, it, yeah. And then you have to, you'll get through it. Like the wonderful thing about it is if you, if you face the thing and you keep doing it, in the end, you are no longer an imposter because you've done the thing. But you you've can't, it, yeah. uh, you can't, you can only stop being an imposter <laughs> or, or being a fraud in some ways once you've done the thing, once you've actually got the baby. Until then, like you aren't really a dad. So there's no point pretending to be a dad. Yeah. And it, it, it we're all going to go through it, guys. You know, over I mean, and over again is over a sad truth. O- only if you do things that matter to you, but that's like life. So yeah. we are all going to go through it over and over. I mean, my my sister, she's she's just had her first grandchild. You know, the only benefit is she probably doesn't feel like an imposter as a grandmother because she's been a midwife all her life. But most mm. of us, when our children have children, will feel a little bit out of kilter. When we go on a first event, we get to go and speak on something for the first time, we'll feel scared and slightly out of our comfort zone. It's a fact of life. Yeah, but there's something so important about what you said about your sister, which is something people often forget, And but she hopefully she won't because she's going to have you telling her that. Maybe she won't anyway, which is that even if like we don't have to pretend that our other life, the rest of our life, when we start something new, we don't have to pretend the rest of our life hasn't existed. Yeah. Which we often do, right? So, you know, that example with your sister is so good. There's a, She has never been a grandmother before, but she's done a load of stuff that is a bit like that. She's been a mum. She's been a midwife, right? So in that, she has a load of experience, which she can take to being a grandma. And, you know, even if she feels like a bit of an imposter, that'll go hopefully quickly. Oh, yeah. And, but, but we can do that all the time. So the women you're talking about before, they may not have started a business like the one you're helping them start, but they've done some things in their lives. Yeah, we've and all I, done I, I do, stuff I, in our lives. I do it with coaches. It's like no one who starts coaching, because um, I sometimes train coaches um, to, to do that kind of uh, development work. No one who comes to the point where they're starting to train as a coach hasn't had some experience working with people because if they hadn't done that, they would have never known that coaching was the right thing. Exactly. So they need to not forget all the times, whether it's with students uh, or their children or staff they've managed or whatever the thing it is that they've done, their friends who always come to them for advice, all of that. Is what the is the what do you call it the foundations on which their business is going to stand and you know we've got the midwife midwifery is going to be the um, the foundations for your sister as a grandma and the people you're working with will have things from their life that that they can say are the foundations for what's coming yeah next. and all of them when I sit down and go through with all of them there's always something in the in their past in their background they've had before whether it's corporate or other businesses there's always experiences they can bring to bear. But yeah, it's it's quite interesting. This is episode 60 of our show. And funnily enough, 60. episode 60, um, one a week since last September. We launched with six episodes and then we've done one a week since last September. And the, the funny thing is, it's only in the last few episodes that I have stopped feeling like, who am I to be doing this? <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Well, Tracy, I just want to say, congratulations on getting to 60 because podcasting is can be quite a lonely and relentless thing to do so like well done like we might talk about one of my books is called keeping going when you want to give up exactly there were moments when you were like this is not worth it i'm gonna you know yeah kick kick the towel in or whatever the throw the towel in or whatever the phrase is um so so well done and yeah i love it like um you know i started my second podcast recently so i have one podcast for coaches called the coach's journey and i started a new podcast about around the the topics of my books which is about procrastination and being productive and doing the things that we really want to do and 
even starting a second podcast, I really felt it. I was like, because it's slightly different because it's a different thing. It's a different type of podcast about a different topic. It's like, I really felt it. Now it went more quickly. So we should give people some hope. Um, Now that I have launched various things in my career, launching a new thing doesn't have the same charge, imposter syndrome, worries, fears, anxiety that it used to, but there's still charge, worries, fears, anxiety, and a bit of imposter syndrome, even with the second podcast, even after books, even after business uh, and and that kind of thing too. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's there. I spent, I, it took me an extraordinary amount of time, Tracy, on my 12-minute method podcast to make a four-minute um, intro trailer thing or a two-minute intro. Like It just took like hours, most of which was spent you know, worrying about, can I get the music bit of it right? It's like, looking back, it's like, what are you doing? No one cares. Nobody cares. I just want to hear the bit in the middle. It's like, it's absolutely fine. But but the parts of me that, you know, in a way that's that's taken me to the work that I do now, a big part of that is my own struggles with procrastination, with not doing things and regretting that. And um, yeah, and so no wonder that still shows up. Right? Yeah, it does. It still shows up. I mean, you know... There were times when it's like, is anybody listening? Well, you know, who cares? Because, uh, well, I do care a little bit, but I mean, who cares in the sense of it doesn't matter whether there's 20 or 2,000 listening because by doing those episodes, I've still grown. Even if I've got one listener, hello to my listener out there. Um, Hello, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. (laughs) I've still grown. So there is still benefit in doing what I've done, but we've neatly come on to your current life. You are an author and you've got the 12-minute method series of books. And I know one of those is all about how to keep going when you just want to give up. So tell us a little bit more about your business now and your your 12-minute method series. Yeah. So, so basically I did that thing that I've just been talking about, which is I like looked at what I'd, what I'd love to do um, in my, in the previous bits of my work. Um, It sounds more organized than this. It was a real mess. It came during a breakup. It came when I was realized I was living in the wrong part of the country or I wanted to move careers. Like all of this stuff was going on at once. It was a mess. Took several years. But in the end I found through a period of experimentation after some false starts, some training that I'd done, that I didn't like in the end. And I found coaching. I'd kind of already rejected it once. I'd been to a, a free workshop and thought this isn't for me and then found a different training company and thought, well, these skills and coaching, they'll be useful wherever I end up and maybe this will be the thing that I'll start a business in and work in. And it has been. So I've been doing that for the last seven years. Um, and I work with all kinds of people, leaders and entrepreneurs. Um, and in the way, the way I look at my business now, there are three things I'm interested in. So one is I'm interested in the craft of coaching. Like I said, I train coaches sometimes. I think that there are a set of skills for managing, leading people. I wish I'd known my whole career. I would have been yeah. a much better manager than I was. I was an okay manager, but but not a great one. Um, and I could have been a great one for sure. Um, so I love doing that. I think there's when people are in complex environments, then having a mentor or a coach is just so useful. Having some space to talk, some place to bounce things off is just a really useful thing to have. So I, I, I do some work on that. I'm interested in leadership in all kinds of ways. because I'm interested in people who really want to make a, as big a difference as they can. So I do leadership work and I'm interested in creativity. And I think this is, you know, this is where the 12 minute method books come in. It's where really what we've been talking about mostly in this conversation comes in. I got really interested in like people often have a thing, maybe several, that they've wanted to do for a long time um, and they're not doing it. And then sometimes people do finally do the thing 
And I got really interested in what's the gap between the, the people that finally do the thing and those that don't, or the things that I have finally done and those that I never did. Yeah. Like what happens in that gap and how can we help people move from, I really, really underneath quietly to myself in my room, want to do this thing, whatever the thing is. Sometimes it's start a business or write a book, but you name some other great ones. Sometimes it's like, I want to have a child or I want to have conversations about having a child. I want to ask somebody out or ask somebody to marry me, but I haven't done it. Like, why is that? I remember there's a real feeling that, that I get when I have been in those situations. It's like a horrible feeling. I sometimes think of it as creative hell. Um, and I remember I used to get it about like, stupid things, but I used to get it. Like if, if I was at a karaoke, I would like really want to sing, but like basically feel unable to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's me it, too. <laughs> it's definitely, I mean, it's absolutely the feeling of me as a, you know, teenage, early 20, you know, young man wanting to ask somebody out and just feeling unable to do it or spending like it taking weeks or months to get to the point of actually speaking to that person. Um, so it's, it's that really. And, and then it's, it's how do we bridge that gap? And procrastination is like, it's just, it's just that it's just in that gap is procrastination. Um, yeah. So I don't know where, where, where should we in the conversation as it's flowing? Where do you think we should go next with this? Well, I think your one of your books in your series is the how to keep going when you want to give up. So it'd be, it'd be nice to know a little bit more around the concepts that are in there so that people get, you know, without reading the entire book, cause they can go do that afterwards. <laughs> Some of the main concepts in, in that book, you know, why did you write that? What, what is it, what is it trying to, provide an answer to yeah so probably to do that i need to say a little bit about how the books were written yeah because that gives a lot of the that gives a lot of where this came from so essentially back in 2016 so six years ago almost i mean just just over six years ago as we were recording this it was it was late summer 2016 i was working with a coach and i had been i had noticed that i felt really stressed and anxious it was really hard for me to share things online for me to be like telling people what i was doing for me to be um like even making jokes on facebook like i kind of stopped doing that i used to do it it used to feel free and then i just it got horrible and maybe that's cuz how facebook was in 2016 right as yeah. people will remember it got weird um but like i definitely had that feeling and i knew it was kind of horrible it was the creative hell feeling and I knew that if, because I was been doing my business for about a year by that point, I knew that that wasn't ideal if I wanted to run a business for which I would have to have, well, not have to, but want to have an online presence. Yeah. So we decided to do some work on it. And what we came up with was this, I would write a short article at a 12 minute train journey. I would write a short article on that train journey five times over the next two weeks as an experiment in just writing something, putting it out there with just one proofread. So I'd write while the train's moving, stop when it stops, proof it once, post it online. And I would do it five times. And then I went on, I did it. It wasn't nice. It had all the feelings of fear that come when we do these things that we haven't done for a long time. And it had what happens after that, which is like a different feeling. I think sometimes it's a feeling of courage because courage is just acting in the face of fear. So it's like, I was scared to put myself out there in that way. And then you get a little rush when you've done it. It doesn't necessarily feel kind of fun. <laughs> it's a bit like kind of, I don't know, going for a long run when you don't like running or, you know, climbing a hill or it's like you get to the top, you might be exhausted. Your, your knee might hurt if, you, if you're no longer 22. And, um, but you're like, you're glad you're there. You're glad you put yourself through it at the end of the day. It was like that. So what I decided to do was make it a weekly practice. 
um, I would write one every week until Christmas. And then uh, I decided to keep it going. And I've been doing it ever since. So I've been writing one article every week for six years. Um, and at some point I stopped getting the train. And so I checked how long it lasted. It lasted 12 <laughs> minutes. I didn't know how long it lasted. And it didn't, of course, it didn't always last 12 minutes because there were different, I'm in London. So yeah. there were different trains that were going in. Sometimes it was seven, sometimes it was 15. But the one I checked, it was 12. So the very arbitrary number 12 came from there. And I would set a timer for 12 minutes. Did it this morning, actually, just before this call. Right while the timer's going, stop when it stops, proof it once, post it online. That's where the 12 minute method came from. And then the books came about because about three years in, I was posting them on LinkedIn because um, I basically I thought that was the safest place to post them because I thought no one really read LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, it turns out they do, but more, much more now, actually, six years on than they did in 2016. Um, about three years in, I realized if somebody wanted, like my one reader who wanted, would might want this. And I use that as a, as a way to get me through my procrastination a lot. It's like, what if one person wants this? then I should probably make it. If it makes a difference to one person, then yeah. it's worth it. Because I don't know what that person will do with what I've what I've done. Like We don't know what your one listener will do when she or he hears this show. What if one person wants to read all my blogs, like really likes them? Like LinkedIn is an absolute nightmare if you want to go back and read all the stuff someone's posted, especially if three years in, you've posted about 140 articles. I can't even get back on LinkedIn to things I posted two hours ago. Exactly. It's hard <laughs> to find my own articles, yeah. let alone that. And I thought, well, what if I made a book of these articles? And so I thought about that and I thought it could be called, because I think this is funny, I wrote this book in 12 minutes, um, which is kind of in your face. If I can write a book in 12 minutes, brackets, a week over three yeah. years, you can do the thing you want to do, whatever it is. Um, and uh, it was... <laughs> I enlisted the help of my friends. It's like the strengths thing again, isn't it? My friend, Steve, who's a professional copywriter, copy editor, he was going to help edit this book briefly um, to put it out there. By the way, what I discovered when I started to do this was 140 articles written in 12 minutes a week over three years is 80,000 words. Wow. 80,000 words, which in fact, in the end, I realized is basically too long <laughs> for a kind of a, 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 a normal self-help type yeah. book which is why it's now a series of four. So that's the punchline I'll get to in the end. But Steve basically said, great question. That title is really good. I wrote this book in 12 minutes. It is kind of in your face and it says, get on with your thing. But can the content of the book do the same thing that the title does? And this is where it got really interesting. Um, it turned out it could. It turned out those 80,000 words, when I printed them out, and I thought about what are the stages you have to go through to, to really do these things that are really hard to do. And I printed out all my articles and I dealt them out into those what I thought were four stages. And they basically all went into those stages, like almost all of them. There were a few that didn't and there were a few duplicates, but, but like all but, I can't remember if it's 10 or 15 or 20 of these articles written over these three years were basically about the kind of things that people struggle with when they're trying to do the thing that they really want to do, whatever that thing is. And retrospectively, that's, it's obvious that that would be the case because that's what I'd been struggling with. Yeah. I've been coaching people, that's what they were struggling with. And that brings us to the, the four books. Uh, so two are out. One's coming out soon as we record. So it, when you're listening to this, it might be out already. And the, the fourth one will come by the end of the year. Because, of course, they were already written. In fact, they were done yeah. in 2019. And we could talk another time, probably not time today, about my procrastination and why it took three years or two years from the books being essentially finished to coming out. But the first book is how to start when you're stuck. Yeah. And that's the most important thing, right? Like if you don't start your project, your business, whatever it is, it'll never happen. You have to start. Everything that exists was started. So you have to start. So that's the first book. Keep going is the second most important thing, right? If you give up 
then your thing won't exist. If you quit your podcast, yeah. you won't get to 60, you won't get to 100, you won't get to 300. And every podcast at some point only had 10 episodes and only had 10 listeners. Exactly. And so, you know, maybe we've got to compare ourselves to us yesterday, not other people today, because otherwise it gets really depressing if we think about comparing ourselves to Brene Brown's podcast or Tim Ferriss's podcast or whoever's it is that you like. Um, you've got to keep going if you want to, to, to make something that matters. And then at some point, you've got to share that work. And those are the three most important things. Share is the fourth book. If you want to, if you want to make a difference beyond yourself. So like you said, if you, want to make, if you just want to make a difference to yourself, you can just make the thing because yeah. you'll always learn and grow by making it. But if you want to make a bigger difference, you have to share the work at some point. You have to give it a chance. You don't know how many people it will reach. You have to give it a chance to change even one person. And then the third book, which is the one that's about to come out, is how to create the conditions for great work. Uh, now, the reason that I say, talk about that fourth is because it's the fourth most important thing, because the two most important conditions for doing great work is to start and then to keep going. And then the next one is actually to share. Yeah. <laughs> because if you don't do those things, you can't do great work. Um, and then there are some other things that you can do that make it a little more likely that you do great work. But keep going is so important because, as an example, my most read blog ever is chapter one of the third book, how, how to Create the Conditions for Great Work. But it came like two and a half years, I think, into the practice. So if I hadn't kept going for those two and a half years, I wouldn't have got good enough to write that really great piece, which really touched people more than any of the other ones. Yeah. Um, and then just to say really briefly what's in Keep Going, um, I think if you were going to keep going with something, you know, if we think about the imposter syndrome piece, um, you kind of have to become your own psychologist a little bit. You have to be able to deal with yourself. Yeah. Um, that's a part of what how to keep going when you want to give up is about. It's like, what are some tricks you can play on yourself to stop yourself giving up? In the internet age, I touched on it a bit already, you have to deal with online comparison traps. So easy to think because of all the people you see online that you'll never be as successful as them. Um, and you probably won't be as successful as them, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing the thing that you want to do. And if you give up, for sure, you won't be as successful as them. Yeah. Um, so, so don't, like we have to, like I said, it's much more useful mindset, very powerful for me. Every time I find myself comparing myself to somebody else, pull myself back in and remember where I was yesterday, where I was last year, where I was two years ago. Yeah, um, I always refer to comparison, especially others, because it's quite, it's it's common in, in lots of business worlds, especially with the era of the online, is yeah. you look at somebody else, you're podcasting, you look at somebody else shouting about how many listeners they've got, and you go, oh, I'm crap compared to that. What's yeah. the point of carrying on? I know that one too, yeah. just to say it to everyone, like, I, but, I feel but, that regularly with my podcast. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, they got 40,000 views on their post. I got four. The thing is, I always refer to comparison as the thief of joy. Because if you didn't oh, compare, is. you'd keep your joy about what the Such thing you were doing. The minute you compare, you lose that joy. Yeah. And it's like there might be on my blog post, you know, I get 20, um, 20 reads. But there's like three really interesting comments about yeah. people saying how it was interesting or they learned something or it's changed something for them. If I, you're absolutely right. Like I could just draw, I could just take joy from those, those three people saying that, or I can think 20, but there are 9 billion people in the world. 20 is pathetic. And like, which one is, is more helpful for me for carrying on? Like only the first one, like by miles. But it's 20 more listeners than you'd have had if you didn't do the podcast. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And it's 19 more than my one. <laughs> yeah. And then the other, so the other two parts of the keep going book, are one is about holding focus and resisting distractions. So in the, 
I think I can say confidently, there's never been a world with more distractions than the one we live in. Uh, like the smartest people in the world are designing apps, competing with each other to design apps that distract us more than the last one. That's what's happening on our phones all the time, on the internet all the time, on our computers all the time, on our TVs, now that we've got Netflix on our TV all the time. You know, so we've got to think about that. If you want to keep going, you've got to think about how am I going to resist distractions? And then the last part of the book is how do you keep going on the dark days? That's what I call it in the book. Because if you're going to have, like, life happens, some bits of it are really hard. Yeah. If you're going to keep going with something over the long term, then you're going to have to keep going at times when life is smacking you in the face. Um, and I wish it wasn't like that. I wish we didn't all have to go through these things, where which causes grief and pain. But we will, all of us, if we live. Um, and it's a sign of being alive, but it's not easy. Um, and if we want to keep going, like that's one of the times when it's, you know, we have to look after ourselves in those times, but it's one of the times when keeping going is most important. Yeah, definitely. We, and we have to, we have to think about that really. And, and, and look, I guess that's a kind of, you know, it's important to say that because it's true and it's better to know that will happen and prepare ourselves for it than to kind of pretend that it won't and then be caught unawares. But it is worth saying that I think the reason that keeping going is so important. So if I think about my writing practice, I've been doing this for six years now. I know I'm someone who can now keep something going for six years. I've been keeping my business. I've not quit my business for seven years. It's like now that I know I can do those things, but particularly the habit feels more important than the business, really. I know I can do a habit for six years. I know I can basically if I want to choose something else and keep that as a habit for six years and keep going, like really it changes what feels possible. Yeah. Because over the long term, and this is what, this is the way I think about listeners quite a lot. It's like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many listeners I've got now. I actually try not to know because it, it's too easy for me to compare. And it's much easier in that case. I think it's kind of more useful for me to be, have my head in the clouds and just focus on making the thing. And then I get it's, I'm less likely to forget the nice messages I get about the shows. But um, it's like if I keep going with that for a long time, other people will quit, right? So keeping going can become, I can be the last one standing. That's something that is within my control. Or I can be still going when other people have quit. Yeah. And I think that in most businesses, like there's a churn. People start them and people stop them. If you choose to be playing the long game, then more keep becomes going. possible. Keep going. So just before we go into details about how people can find out more about your books, etc., and my little quick fire set, if there's somebody out there that feels like giving up, are there two or three top tips you'd give them to go work on to actually help them either make a decision to give up because it's the right decision or help them to get out of that position of feeling like they want to give up? You know, there's a way in which it, it, it depends on exactly where they are. I often use a future experiment for me. You know, it's like, maybe there's two, yeah. So I often use a future experiment. So it's like, you can go right to the end of your life if you're brave enough. And I think that's the most powerful way to do it. And to think about what might I feel sad about at the, if I reach the end of my life, what would I feel sad about? And then compare that to now. And it's like, well, actually, if I'd feel, if, if I'm, if I'm thinking of quitting and at the end of my life, most thing I'd feel sad about is not spending enough time with my children and quitting will help me spend more time with my children. Then quitting could be the right thing. Yeah. But if at the end of your life, you'll feel sad because you, you didn't pursue 
the things that matter to you. And quitting is actually that part of you that wants to quit because all of us want to quit. And it's scary to keep going and hard, especially in the dark times. Then you might make a different choice. So that will be one. The other would be the tortoise and the hare. So I had this insight <laughs> earlier this year, you know, Aesop's fable, uh, the tortoise and the hare. Like there were people that I really respect who taught me a lot about blogging and writing and other things who I remember thinking, I will never have written as many blog posts as them. One of them had written a lessons from a hundred posts on LinkedIn article that went viral because the LinkedIn CEO shared it. And I was like a hundred posts. I'll never have got there. And not only have I got there, but I've written now probably a hundred posts more than that person because I kept going one post a week steadily, the tortoise, not the hare, who yeah. for good reasons, in his case, I'm sure, decided to pause and rest and chill out for a while and not write blogs. And that's absolutely fine. So the tortoise act would be, what's the, if it's a, especially if it's a hard week, what's the smallest possible way that you can keep going this week that is enough and do that. Mm-hmm. And that essentially is write one, po- for me in the writing practices, write one post in 12 minutes and proofread it once and post it. And um, that's enough. If I do more, great. If I don't, that's me knowing that I'm continuing to be a writer. I love those two methods. I, I, I heard a long time ago, I can't remember where, but this future experiment about go to your own funeral in your mind yeah, yeah. and write down what you would want people to say about your life. Yeah, it's, writing a eulogy is yeah, a very powerful thing. That to do. is scary, it's but it's scary, but very beautiful because you start to work out. What is it that you'd love to do? And which brings us right back to the beginning. If you're doing something you love to do, that is going to sustain you and feed you. And you won't give a two hoots about comparing because you're already doing something you love. So it's brilliant how we've come full circle, Robbie. So tell the guys how they can find out more about you and your books from the 12 Minute Method series. So I'm at robbieswale.com. Um, useful thing about having a pretty unusual name is that I can um, you can just find me by Googling me. Um, I'm on the, all the social media. I'm most active on LinkedIn, but you can find me on the other ones. Of course, only find me if you want to be distracted by me because that is what social media does yeah. really well. But you can find my 12-minute blog is on LinkedIn, but it's also on my website now, so it's easier to find your way through. The books are on Amazon. Um, they're on a bunch of other booksellers, depending on where people are listening. Um, you can find some links. like So they're on the Waterstones website and the Blackwell's website. So if people are in the UK, they're on Barnes & Noble if people are in the US. Um, and if you can't find them where you are, email me. Um, because I'm always interested to, you know, I, I love getting an email from someone in Singapore saying, where can I get your book in Singapore? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll find out. No, from the I'll send it people. you. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, you can find that there. And there's loads more about the 12-minute method on my website. There's also... If, if people, if someone who's listening happens to be a coach or interested in coaching, there's the Coach's Journey podcast, which is in all the podcast places. And uh, there's the now is the 12 minute method podcast, which is fun. It's me doing an investigation. So, really actively making it a learning opportunity for me, which is how I make it, make myself do it into all the things that I have done, I've wanted to do for a long time and then done. And what happened? Because there, there have also been, like, the reason I'm talking about, in some ways, the reason this is so important to me is there have been some things that I did not do. Um, and I still have some regret about those things. Businesses, a book I didn't write. And, you know, I was talked out of them by my own fear and worry and other people who had were wrong about those things. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And we will get the links into the show notes as well. So we're going to end with our quick fire 
round, um, which I normally do this versus that. I've only got one of those for you because the others, I think, are going to give us more insight into you. But my first one has got to be, and this is hard, this is about, this is a bit like picking your favourite child, yeah? Um, start with stuck versus how to keep going. Which one is your favourite out of the two and why? Favourite? You know, interestingly, I had a strong intuitive reaction to that, that it's keep going. Um, so start when you're stuck is where people should start. Um, <laughs> but keep going for some reason for me, I think that I knew the lessons of start when you're stuck when I was writing it. Uh, when I was, sorry, not writing it, when I was turning it into a book. So there's like a, a process of turning what were the blog posts into a book. And I don't think I knew the lessons as much of keep going. So for me, it was more powerful to really see the power of the tortoise over the hare, which I saw when I was making that book and talking about it. Um, I saw, and also to see how I've changed through the practice. So starting was key, but the bits that have really changed me, and I have been undoubtedly transformed by keeping this writing practice going for six years, they were transformed by me keeping it going. Um, so that's meaningful for me. Brilliant. So I don't like the use of this word, but it makes it easier to comprehend the question. What has been your biggest failure in not life, but in your businesses? And what I'm talking about really is not your failures, but your biggest lessons that you learn. Because that's all failures are, guys, the lessons that we learn. Yeah. I'm going to do, can I do two quickly? You can. So one would be these, like those business ideas that I just mentioned. They were before this business, right? But they were like, I had a great idea for a book and a great idea for a business. And I was kind of, I talked myself out of one and was talked out of the other. And the reason I know they were great is because other people went and did them and made them successful. And someone gave me the book that I'd had the idea for once written by somebody else. And I've got to say, I've never read it. It's, it's, too, it's kind of, too it's painful. not so painful anymore. For a long time, it was too painful. I was just so gutted about it. But the lesson is therefore we have, you know, I can't let myself get talked out of those things anymore. Yeah. I have to learn from it. It took two, three, maybe actually. It, it took two, almost three. I did do the third one in the end. Yeah. which is a little side website I have about an author that I like, but that would be one. And then the other would be, I had a real, like one of my worst ever conversations with a client. Like I just absolutely, you know, it warrants swearing really, but I stuffed up the money conversation with somebody so badly that she stormed out midway through our coaching session and midway through our coaching engagement. And um, basically never replied to any of my messages again. Like that's how much I messed it up. And I was gutted. I like rang my mentor at the time, even though it was like, by the time I spoke to him, it was like, I don't know where he'd been. It was like 9.30 at night, but he still called me back because he could tell how, what state I was in. It was like, I, could, I was gutted. So it was nearly like a wonderful testimonial, um, you know, lovely piece of work, beautiful story. Instead, it ended with absolute, you know, meltdown. And, and that was a big lesson for me, which is yeah. that I want every interaction that everyone has with me in my business to leave open the possibility of future work together because I'm in my business for the long term. So if I do that, if I'm always like that. So I don't, so I have integrity. I look after the people I work with. I, I give and I give generously. Then I can be confident that I will get the stories told by the clients I do great work with. I'll get referrals in the future. I'll get people coming back. Um, instead of like that person, you know, she'll probably never refer anyone to me. She'll never tell anyone about our coaching. And she probably looks back on it with regret now. I mean, she may not, but she probably does, despite the fact that before that conversation, we did great work. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because a lot of people wouldn't actually admit their biggest lessons. I think it takes a great person to to be that honest. Um, and to balance it, I would normally, you know, I'd normally ask, you know, what 
one thing you do to change the world, but I'm going to change it and switch it this week because to balance that, what's been your biggest success? Well, what comes up today when you ask that is becoming someone. So it's, it's this 12 minute method story. It's, it's becoming someone. I feel a little emotional talking about it. Becoming someone who is able to start things and see them through. You know, it's not that I never did that. Like people, I sometimes think people who um, were at school with me um, or knew me maybe when I was a student might hear some of the stories I tell and think, but I remember Robbie doing loads of stuff. And at times I did. And then I had a lot of stories after that, after leaving education. It felt like within those systems, there was permission to do things. And so I did them. And then there was a period in my life where it felt like the things I really wanted to do, I couldn't do. And it's not that I do everything now, but I have become someone through practice who, you know, knows that when I say I'm going to start my new podcast, no matter how much the procrastination of fear shows up, I'm going to start another podcast. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that. Brilliant. That's beautiful. And the one I always finish with, our show is called Sweat, Grit and Hustle. So out of those three, sweat, grit or hustle, which resonates the most and why? Well, because we've been talking about keep going, it feels like it's got to be grit. And, and I, I, I do know that you asked that, I guess I have heard that on other episodes. So I, I have thought about it a bit. And like, I love sweat. Like I love the hard work sometimes. And there are times when I absolutely love the hustle. Like when the next book comes out, I love the hustle of launching it and, and getting it in as many places as I can. That's a lot of fun. But the the thing that is, as we've just said, most meaningful to me is is the grit. And yeah. I just think it's a, it's a really, I didn't know how important it was, like how worthwhile it is to develop the grit to stick with stuff. Yeah. I was, I was born with it. Being a miner's daughter in Yorkshire, I was yeah. born with grit, but, and it, it it's quite apt because if you think about it, the grit is what you need to keep going. It absolutely Dig is. in those yeah. heels, guys. Find out what you're passionate about. Find out what you enjoy about you, what you do. The bits you don't like, get to a stage where you can delegate them to somebody else. But whatever you do, don't give up because as the old fable goes, you could be three inches from that seam of gold. Yeah. I love it. Oh, Robbie, such, go on. Such a beautiful summary of the conversation. Yeah. Brilliant, isn't it? I've loved it. it. This has been brilliant. And if you're open to it, I would love to get you back on in the future so that we can actually focus. You know, today's been great. We really have learned who is Robbie Swale and and also the philosophy around who am I for each of us to ask, who are we? What do we want? So I've loved that, but it'd be great to get you on in the future for some of our content pieces where we talk a bit more about that procrastination. We talk a bit more about the keep going. So if you're up for it, I'm open to getting you in for that content. Yeah, I'd love to. I've had a wonderful time. It's flown by, like you it said has, at the start. I, I, lo I love it. I love the conversation, not the interview. Makes this, you know, I know you're asking more questions of me, but like that makes these times, this time just fly by for me. Um, and yeah. I feel like I've thought new thoughts. So thank you for that because the, the questions, the provocations, the reflections have been really beautiful. You are welcome. It's been an absolute honour, Robbie. Thank you. To keep up with what we're doing and what's coming, on Sweat, Grit and Hustle, do visit us at www.sweatgrithustle.com.